That big red button says record. So that means we're recording. I mean, I guess so. Yeah. Look what happens when Michael's not here. Listen, it all <laughs> doesn't mean apart. that we can't figure it out ourselves. That's right. Um, maybe, do you want to introduce this? We might be recording. Yeah. Hi. What are uh, we doing? Uh, I'm Nancy Rommelman. I'm here with Matt Welch at Paloma Media Studios. It's a Paloma Media production. Sunday night. Yeah. Talking to you about some some media stuff. Yeah. Been kicking around. We built this studio. Um, Nancy mostly built the studio. Moynihan helped. I did something. Oh, you bought all this beautiful I bought the equipment. Stuff. That counts yeah, yeah. for something. Um, and we've been starting to record from here. And as part of it, um, and part of building out uh, Paloma Media, which is a conspiracy um, that you can <laughs> find on Twitter and YouTube and uh, Instagram Instagram and TikTok. Let's not forget TikTok. That's right. I don't know if you saw my second I, video on TikTok. Oh, I haven't. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's is it not equally humiliating. Uh, yeah, sadly, uh, uh, my oldest daughter um, refused to allow herself to be in the end of it like the first one. Like I wanted to get a whole theme going of her being like horrified by me because that's the whole point that's of it. That's the whole point of this TikTok. But she is the editor of that site, so she has the dictatorial power. I'm trying to train her. I, I just think we should have TikToks of her. Well, I mean, yes. Yes. Uh, but then it might undermine... Uh, Our brand? A little bit. Okay. Yeah. No, okay. Well, Old, bad person brand. Okay. Um, but anyways, we, we're... So Nancy and I are trying to figure out how... The equipment, which is literally, it looks like um, that uh, that beep boop uh, Simon game. Was that what it was called? Remember the thing with like the four primary colors, and it does a little pattern. It all it looks like a nineteen seventies game show. Like, come on down! You've got all these like primary squares that'll start flashing. It's actually really cute. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a handsome device. There's yes. no Gene Rayburn with like a thirteen foot microphone. Anyway, we're here. <laughs> We're here winging it on a Sunday night. For you guys, we've built this studio so we can put out some hopefully interesting, fun, Jackie Assy and content for you. So And um, and so we're just seeing whether we can use the equipment and in the process um, talk about a story that pissed us both off. Two uh, stories. Anyway. You, 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 you tell it. Well, no, you tell it, then I'll get on to the second story. Okay. Uh, if there's even time for the second story. So I uh, this thing came across on, was it Friday, Friday nights or afternoon, and it just seemed um, bizarre to me. I think uh, I, I tweeted it out at the time of like something about this smells funny, and it was a story that was first reported uh, in the Daily Beast um, by Maxwell Tanny, T A N I, uh, and uh, Lachlan something or other. Um, and it was called Star, headlined, Star New York Times reporter accused of using N-word, making other racist comments. Um, so accused, right? This is important. Uh, you'll, it'll soon become clear that, like, looking for the racist comment is this interesting thing that none of the journalists who have talked about this story yet have mentioned, except for uh, Nancy on her substack. Here's the uh, subhead the paper's top COVID reporter, um, uh, joined a group of students on a trip to Peru in 2019. Participants alleged he repeatedly made racist comments. Um, so this was picked up. This The Daily Beast broke this story, um, and then it immediately um, occasioned a statement from New York Times uh, editor-in-chief Dean Baquet, um, 
in which uh, a statement that he released to the Daily Beast and then released it internally um, to the New York Times um, saying that uh, when he first heard about Donald, this Donald McNeil is the name of, of the reporter. And this reporter, maybe I'll back up a tiny bit. So this is the main uh, pandemic coronavirus science and health and tech reporter for the New York Times. He's been working there uh, at the New York Times since I was five years old. Yeah, he, he joined the paper in <laughs> 1976. Four, four. Was it four? It was four. Okay. Um, so he's been there forever, uh, and he has been doing work that has uh, received a lot of, of plaudits about coronavirus. There's also plenty of critics, including plenty of um, kind of uh, anti-lockdown critics who don't like the way that he has comported himself on occasion. That's absolutely neither here nor there for the purposes of of this conversation. Um, Here's a guy who in two of the previous three days before this Daily Beast story ran, and I think that that is likely not an accident, and I will hedge all of my likelies and supposedlies because there's such uh, an amazing lack of reporting or a lack of, hey, this is why we're writing this story now. This is why we heard about this story now uh, within this story. So you have a guy who um, has been having a pretty good run uh, for the Times on COVID and for two of the previous three days or four days before this Daily Beast story ran late last week, he was on The Daily, which is the New York Times Daily podcast, which is among the most uh, uh, popular podcasts in the world. I'd like to also just interject that he's been coming on The Daily, you know, basically since COVID started. Not all the time, but they'll have him in. And, you know, Michael Barbaro's like, hey, let's check in. What are you doing? Well, I'm still not going outside. Here's what I know. And he's, you know, he's he's very personable. He talks about not being able to see his, his grandchild. I mean, he's a, he's a smart science guy, but he's also... He's sort of a personable guy in terms of the politics of people not liking him. I don't follow that as much as, as Matt does, but I guess he's pretty pro-lockdown. Pro um, but that is obviously, if, if, we're, if we're having people grumbling about him and 2019, a trip that he took and they're accusing him of being a racist, that's not why these complaints are servicing now about him. It's not anti-lockdown people that are complaining about him. Right. So it's, it's reasonable to presume, uh, unless the Daily Beast media reporters have a lot of deep sources inside the student travel uh, industry. I'm guessing I'm guessing that's probably a no. Um, it's just a supposition. And again, you don't know because they don't say, we got this story came to us because these people were mad about a thing. So you have to preface that by saying, so on, when McNeil is accused of, of using the N-word or being a racist, he's in 2019, he's one of the people that are on a tour. It's one of these like New York Times trips. You know, you can see them. They, they cost $5,500 a person to go. And it's like students and some of their parents. And he was joining them in Peru. You know, it's one of these things like you have an expert along with you. And on one of these trips in Peru, he is accused in the Daily Beast story of saying something racist. Now, what he apparently said was in the context of quoting something. We don't know if it was a song, a movie, a television show, um, but apparently that doesn't matter, right, Matt? This doesn't matter at this point. The uh, the uh, so the exact and like you're piecing this together chronologically. Um, so uh, according to multiple parents of students on the trip who spoke with the Daily Beast, along with documents shared with the Times and reviewed by the Beast, that's interesting. Um, uh, 
many participants of the students, six out of, out of at least 26, relayed a series of troubling accusations to the paper. McNeil repeatedly made racist and sexist remarks throughout the trip, including, according to two complaints, using the N-word. Okay, so bunch of racist statements. He used the N-word. Oh, my God, uh, this has to be terrible. Let's hear more about this. Uh, Editor-in-Chief Dean Becke, who I might get into my history of not having a lot of respect for at some point uh, throughout the next few minutes, um, released a statement, which is uh, kind of amazing to me, to be honest with you. Uh, so he released it publicly and then the one internally. By now, you've read the account of a trip that Donald McNeil made with a group of students in 2019. This is an internal to New York Times statement. Um, now, keep in mind, so the, the text of the Daily Beast story says that McNeil was disciplined um, internally for his remarks and allowed to continue reporting. Um, and that uh, after an initial look at it from uh, uh, his boss, Dean Baquet, he said that we found, um, uh, you know, we conducted a thorough investigation and disciplined Donald for statements and language that had been inappropriate and inconsistent with our values. We found he had used bad judgment by repeating a racist slur in the context of a conversation about racist language. So what do you think, lacking a quote, what does that tell you that, that what does that look like to you, Nancy? Well, it tells me he obviously they're they're being as opaque as they possibly can, and I don't know. I mean, you, if you were being you know generous to McNeil, you could say, well, they're being opaque to sort of protect him. But I don't I don't think that's what's happening here. I think what's happening here is they're being opaque in order to make something that probably was him quoting from I don't know a book, a movie, a song. We don't know. Um, to, to sort of err on the side of making him look sort of guilty, but we're going to keep him. But, but I'm going to ask you a question, Matt, and, and you listeners. So something happens to you. Like you're walking down the street and you get hit on the head with a brick. And, you know, the cops come up to you and they're like, well, what happened? It's like, I got hit on the head with a brick. You, you try to be as specific as possible <laughs> because you feel pretty confident that you were walking down the street and were hit in the head with a brick. Okay. You go ahead and read this Daily Beast story. There is nothing from any of these these students and their parents. And by the way, it's six out of six out of twenty six students or their parents. It's not and their parents. Yes. So it's a smaller number, but you know, the way they kind of say And two of those six uh said that he used the N word and Dean Baquet uh said that uh um it did not appear to me that his intentions were hateful or malicious. So in what context do you use the N-word in a way that is not hateful or malicious, but it, that is also in the context of a conversation about racist language? Well, we don't know. And why don't we know? Because none of these students or their parents have bothered to say, oh, by the way, also none of them have, you know, will be revealed, right? So you have people just anonymously saying this person said something. That's that's all you know, guys. There uh, have been uh, several cases in academia and in the corporate America over the last 12 to 18 months where people uh, used, I believe the N-word is usually the, the most radioactive one. Um, was, what was the one? It was in, was it Netflix? I think it was Netflix, and I apologize if I'm getting the entertainment company wrong, but I think it was. Some leader was up there talking, and they were having 
a discussion about the need to kind of move on. And it might have been the N-word. It might have been uh, something homophobic. Um, but they're saying, yeah, it's really important as you do this to not use words like X. That person was fired. Yeah, because we are we are now at the point you're not even allowed to say any word or maybe even like look at any word without you you being being guilty of, of being racist. And, and let me just say in that Daily Beast piece, you know, it starts out making this accusations. And by the time you're at the two thirds marks of the beast it, of the piece, it's like saying, well, you know, basically Donald McNeil, a known racist. I it mean, says it's the uh, McNeil's racist remarks have come to light during a period of content. Oh, 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 what racist remarks? What racist remarks? We don't know. And you know why? Okay, so here's something I wrote about on my on my Substack. It's like, okay, so you have to think for a second. You've got kids here. They're paying $5,500 a month to, to go on this trip with their parents. They are willing to be cloaked in anonymity and to make these accusations. And guess what? There's just no consequences for them whatsoever if they do this, right? Right, well, because these are people that, that are not going to have consequences if they're, they're going to be going on these trips. What are they getting out of this? What are they getting out of this particular campaign? Like 15 minutes of, of being a hero? Well, the question is, it's, a, it's important to point out that the students were upset and the parents were upset or some combination thereof. Like the, one quote is, he was a racist. He used the N-word, said horrible things about black teenagers and said white supremacy doesn't exist. Um, I can imagine that being a response. I look, I, I'm the parent of a 12-year-old who calls her mom homophobic when she's not because uh, she's being raised as a woke uh, 12-year-old uh, and is being a 12-year-old uh, in Brooklyn. Um, but uh, it's possible that it's something bad. But those teenagers were made... Uh, their concerns, they were apologized to by the New York Times in 2019. We are only hearing about this now well, because um, someone decided within the New York Times, I will bet money to anybody, to Maxwell Taney, I will bet you money um, that we are hearing about this now because someone internal to the New York Times was appalled that Donald McNeil was being faded by a controversial now, within the Times uh, podcast, The Daily, which is seen as a platform within the platform, right? It's the most popular uh, uh, news podcast in the world or in the United States. And uh, who gets to be on there is seen as this really important, like, plum. And again, two of the four days before this thing came out, uh, McNeil was on just, you know, here's the state of the coronavirus. And he also interviewed Dr. Anthony Fauci in a very, it was a very good and wide-ranging interview. Um, and the Daily has been under a lot of focus for a lot of reasons, some of which are complicated to get into, many of which I think are completely trumped up, but uh, other people disagree. Neither here nor there, but they're under high, heightened focus. So at a time when they're under heightened focus, especially uh, with sort of a whispers and whiffs of possible sexism, misogyny, I don't know if there's been uh, prior uh, accusations of racism, but probably because it's the New York Times at this point, um, they see Donald McNeil and they, they know that this thing happened in 2019 and they can't deal with it. Look, it's it's how <laughs> I have this from someone um, inside the Times who obviously I'm not going to name. Uh, this person's like, well, you know, what else happens in January, Nancy? It's it's uh, it's Pulitzer season, and he's you know, there's talk of him being up for a Pulitzer, or maybe he's up for a Pulitzer. I don't know. And it's like, you know what? People don't like that. They don't like the fact um, that someone else that maybe you know maybe they'd have the sunshine if he didn't. So uh, the internal chatter. Um, from what I've had in the New York Times, and this is a quote, is just incredibly mean. And people want him gone, including 
Um, you've got uh, people at other newspapers. I don't know if I should uh, name this person who I'm constantly kind of um, bringing up, um, who are saying, how dare he, how dare Donald McNeil get promoted? How dare this white dude get promoted? He's been there since 1974. Like, I, I don't even know what to say here. It's like, how do when is someone allowed to matriculate in their career? There were, um, uh, generously speaking, or modestly speaking, I should say, um, at least a dozen um, salaried journalists or people who work in the media industry who responded to these series of news. Again, news that uh, articles that none of them, not the New York Times follow-on coverage, which I'm going to get to in a second, not the Washington Post's follow-on coverage, uh, none of it uh, ever mentioned what he said and what the context was. No, and, and that's what I would like to also repeat. I have seen journalists come out and say, wow, I am so, I am so proud of those journalists at the Daily Beast for their very brave and spectacular reporting. Let me tell you something. There's, there's no reporting in the Daily Beast article. There, I mean, they did kind of scour out some people that were willing to not go on the record and be completely like both super aggrieved and mealy-mouthed at the same time. And then basically quote from, you know, whatever the New York Times released, whatever their press release or internal documents were. There's no reporting here. You have not helped anything, and you have certainly not done anything brave. What have, what have they done that's brave, Matt Welch? Who? The, what... <laughs> There's no bravery here. There is, I think, probably some uh, professional jealousy in inside the Times. I don't, guess what, guys? I don't know what Don McNeil said, and neither do you. And you can go and read every single report that's online, and you're still not going to know. Don't you think if someone wants to be a super brave and courageous reporter that they should go and actually find out, like make these people, if you're going to spend your time and your readers' bandwidth then come out and tell us what this person supposedly said and, and strengthen your argument. So Dean Beckay, the editor-in-chief's um, a message uh, internally, was, um, and this uh, makes my blood boil, uh, because I feel like it's him trying to straddle the line uh, constantly, which he's always doing. He's always calibrating, like, how much can I give in to the kind of younger staffers who are always uh, getting the, the pitchforks and the, uh, and, 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 and the, uh, the tiki torches in their own way um, <laughs> <laughs> out for uh, the old racist crust bags um, and how much do we don't. So he says, when I first heard the story, I was outraged and expected I would fire him. Is that what you say as a boss? Yeah. When I first heard something, I expected that I would fire someone before I've even judged this. This is just him trying to play nice with people, trying to explain away why he didn't fire someone. Um, and then his next language, which uh, I'm going to basically repeat, is authorized investigation and concluded his remarks were offensive, were offensive, and that he showed extremely poor judgment, but that it did not appear to me that his intentions were were hateful or malicious. Okay, so um, again, this—if you—if you didn't have intention, uh, a malicious or hateful intent, and you use the N word in context of talking about racist language, here's my question to you: Did you use a racist slur? 
If I say, when I was growing up in Long Beach, California, people called each other faggot, did I just use a homophobic slur? Yes or no? I mean, actually, I'm, I'm, not, being a, I'm not being a bully about this. I want to know the answer to that question from your point of view, Nancy, because maybe some people listening have a different than, point of view than I do. Well, from my point of view, you did not. From my point of view, you're, you're telling me something that happened. I can say, you know, when I was with my ex, a Native American guy who grew up around, you know, he grew up very Natives and Blacks, and they used to say, hey, and word please. Like, that was what they said. Like, that's how they spoke, right? Okay, so if I say that to you, that, that that's how they spoke, am I using a racist slur? Well, you know, it's in the eye of the beholder or the ear of the hearer. And right now, I think that it seems to be that there's some reward if you take offense at that. If you take offense at that, you can be on the side of the people that feel that they're making a better world if you're offended by that. And that is a lot of the people inside of the New York Times and it's a lot of the 15-year-olds whose parents pay $5,500 for them to go on a trip. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, uh, I maybe... I mean, can you imagine you're 15 on a trip and there's a guy who's 60 years old and you're hanging out with him and maybe he's super like, you're super glad he's there because that's why you went on the damn trip, right? Because this guy was going to give you his expertise. And maybe, maybe they were offended at the moment. I don't know. I wasn't there. Maybe they weren't. Maybe he's grumpy and kind of off-putting. I've I've met that guy. Or maybe it's like two years later, um, there's like a little bit of a whisper campaign and it's like, yeah, maybe... God, maybe that was not okay. Maybe he was quoting that song and, whoa, uh, maybe I should have been seriously offended. Wait, the New York Times is going to pay attention to me. The Daily Beast is going to want me to talk to them. And I have, I'm not going to pay. It's not going to hurt me to do this. I, my strong supposition is that no students were talking to the Daily Beast. Uh, this is, this oh, it's is, their parents. It's their Brooklyn or, No, it's like I, I think they got copy of the file. Uh, to talk about because he talked about the revert. <gasps> yeah, yeah, no, this is, I believe oh strongly that this is an internal leak from the, the internal personnel leak from the New York so, Times uh, going after it. So, like, the, and they get the quotes of people who were mad and who sent, who sent mails contemporaneously and were upset. I didn't see any quotes from some, someone saying, you know what? After 18 months, I've really thought about this. And here's, and I feel like that apology wasn't enough. If that was a thing, we'd, we would read it in the story. It wasn't the thing. That's not part of what was on offer, right? Um, so again, guy uses, at the, according to the reporting that we know, uses the N-word twice, or according to two different students, he used the N-word at least once in the context of talking about racist language. Right. Um, and also after a thorough investigation, according to Deepak, hey, um, his boss, um, uh, there was no hateful or malicious intent. Right. So now Eric Wemple from The Washington Post, the media writer there. Ooh, I heard a seed. Oh, well. An intake of, of a gritted teeth breath. You know, you and I, we, you and I already messaged about this. You know, Wemple, I don't know when he started working there, but there was a time when I thought, you know, the guy had some pretty interesting things to say. Oh. Hold on, hold that thought, Matt. Keep talking. We're gonna hit pause. No, we're not. We're, I'm gonna keep walking keep through keep because Nancy is walking. This studio is a kind of adjunct wing of Nancy's apartment. It shares a vestibule. You turn left, you go into her apartment. You turn right, you come into the Paloma Media uh, Studios, which Fifth Column uh, uses uh, promiscuously. In fact, we'll use later on tonight. Um, so there might be some traffic and we're going to do some little haircuttery, um, uh, in a little bit here. That's right. Uh, hopefully that some of you will have already consumed by the time you get around to this. So Eric Wemple, media reporter, 
Washington Post for a long time. Um, I used to value his work a lot. I value it a lot less these days. He strikes me as very scoldy as much as anything else. Um, and in his piece, he used um, a paragraph, which was an uh, uh, interesting choice of words. McNeil sounded defiant when reached for comment uh, by the Post on Thursday afternoon. Don't believe everything you read, he said in an email with no further elaboration. And then on Twitter, Eric Wemple is like, you know what? We really need to hear from uh, from Donald McNeil himself, which I believe, uh, I, uh, although I would like to hear from Donald McNeil. In fact, I emailed him and I hope to be in contact with him. Um, uh, we don't need if you, that's not um, showing a lot of sophistication about how personnel matters happen at newspapers in 2021. Donald McNeil needs to probably uh, to save his job right now is to shut shut the front door, to shut <laughs> shut the hell up while the paper, I think, is going to be having some large uh, internal meetings on Monday, uh, agonizing over why did we let this terrible racist be platformed on this is again by journalists who, as far as we know, don't know anything about what he said. I Again, I've got, I'll echo Matt um, when uh, Wemple, when I started reading him a couple of years ago, I thought he had some interesting things to say. You know, he was kind of looking at chunky issues like we are. Um, but in the past couple of years, I, at least the, the ones I've followed of him, I'm completely uh, disabused of, of enjoying his coverage. And what he said the other day was, you know, in a sense, like we just really, hear, we really just need to hear from Donald McNeil himself. And I'm sorry. What this is, is the little piece of cheese in the trap. It's like, come on, Don. Come to the table and just, like, tell us what you said. And once you're there, once you've taken that cheese, it's like, see? See, he knows. He knows he's guilty. And then everybody else goes in and just tears him apart. From my point of view, um, you say nothing. Now, it, do I, again, I'm going to repeat what I said, and I'm, I'm going to send people to my Substack because I talked about this a little more over there. Um, he might have said something terrible. Do we know? No. We don't know. Because no one has bothered to report that. So why do you go why do you go and start defending yourself against something you didn't say? And I'm pretty sure from the way this smells, and you were absolutely right on Thursday night to say this smells fishy, I feel pretty certain he probably didn't say anything except something in context. Like if I was quoting a song from you that was super dirty or kind of like seemed super racist if I was quoting it. That's probably what happened. And if I were Don McNeil and if I were listening to me, I'd say, dude, keep your head down, do your work. Because you know what? These campaigns need calories. They need something to suck off of. And just keep your head down, do your work. They'll go off and uh, find the next person that they can uh, get some mileage off of. The um, the thing that probably outrages me the most besides uh – idiot journalists acting like idiots on Twitter about this, but that you can be expected uh, by now for them to just pile on rather than ask questions. But the New York Times ran their own story on this. So um, keeping in mind that they already engaged in an internal disciplinary process uh, for someone last year. No, not even last year. We're 2021. It's 2019. So a year and a half ago or whatever. Um, this is news only because the Daily Beast has reported it um, for the most part. And this is the headline of the New York Times' own story about this incident. New York Times reporter used racial slur with student group. Did used he? racial 
slur. Okay, again, if I if I am uh, quoting the Guns N' Roses song "One in a Million, uh, as an example of the type of popular culture that you could consume in the late 1980s that include racist sentiment. And I wouldn't probably do that because I kind of love that song. Maybe that's so sad about me. <laughs> um, uh, but you got N-words, you got F-words, you got lots of lots of details. If I was quoting that uh, in service of that concept, uh, uh, context, would I be using, is that how we describe what I did? I don't, I'm not sure. They put it in a headline. And again, this is the paper that actually knows the story. And we don't know. <laughs> they don't They don't talk about in their own story what he said. They conducted a thorough investigation, according to Dean Baquet, and we've got no evidence of that thorough investigation in the news article in the newspaper that conducted the thorough investigation. What the fuck are you even doing? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this around and now be like nice and tender, Nancy. Okay. okay? So... Um, students, young people with young brains hungry for stuff. Yes, I know, I know the culture feeds you things and tells you you should be afraid of things and you should, like, oh my God, I should be offended. This, But you know what? Mostly young people aren't. Young people are pretty badass. They got a billion hormones going on. They're, like, curious about the world. They want to eat it up. And, yeah, you know, people tell you to be scared of things. Don't be scared of things. Like, go, you know, be interested in things, right? So you're on some trip. You're in Peru. Whoa, God, freaking exotic, right? And you're with some dude who's like 60, like, uh, he's an old dude, but he's interesting probably, right? He's interesting because he's been reporting for a long time. And yeah, he could like read you from a textbook or a math book, or he could be like, oh, now we're going to study this lizard. No, no, no. Or he could like sit with you in a place like maybe you even have a beer and you're only 16. Who the hell knows? I wasn't there. But he also starts, maybe he's like trying to talk to you in a way that maybe you're going to understand. Like maybe he's like a super oh, no. old dude. No, oh, no. I'm telling you, but oh, no. he might he's, be. He's saying he hello. Might be. He might be. Hello, he, fellow kids. Yeah, hello, fellow kids. And he's maybe, maybe he's either <laughs> A, being a dork, right? He's like, oh, I thought they might think I was cool if I was like doing something from, I don't know, I'm going to say L-O, cool, to tell you how old I am, right? But, or... Or maybe it's just like he likes to mix it up the way he talks to you. Or maybe somebody in the crew or the group said something and he riffed off it. It was like, oh, wait, I can kind of get that. Guys, it's a big world. Like, listen to the ways that we can address the world. Don't take offense if he wasn't meaning to be offensive. Like, again, I wasn't there. I don't know if he said something offensive. And guess what? Neither do you. Because no one has done the reporting to do that. And be careful because you've got people that are making a career out of this sort of like, I mean, the idea that someone at the New York Times could feed an internal memo that might bring down one of their more successful colleagues is really bad. This is really not the way and you want to be. It's a level okay. of reporting that I would, you know, uh, Felicia Sumnes of the Washington Post. Oh, don't um, get me I started. started. Oh, my um, God. Uh, no, she was like, uh, she tweeted out, you know, thanks. Uh, you know, while the New York Times may be in the spotlight now, racism and sexism are problems that every single news outlet, especially the fifth column, as we all know. Um, uh, thank you to the brave folks like uh, Maxwell Tanny, et cetera, and others who are revealing the extent uh, of these problems rather than denying or minimizing them. Did, we, did they reveal the extent of the problem in that piece? Uh, are they brave for what they did? The brave thing to do, um, and that is never done or very rarely done in journalism, is as follows, not just actually getting 
the you know the 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 smoking gun at the heart of the story, right? That makes sense. Um, uh, which they didn't in this case, but also to uh, indicate why did you get this story? Why now? Who decided that this was an important thing to talk about right now? You don't see that a lot in journalism because they don't want to um, tarnish. Uh, the their product with the perhaps less than savory motives of some of the people who are feeding them information. Really, because of course it's not really a story, is it? No, not really. It's not really a story that in 2019 somebody might have said something that was untoward. Okay, I, I mean, Sonmez, I'm I'm sorry. I I I messaged you and and Michael Moynihan and Camille earlier in the week saying, you know, when Marty Baron um, was announced his retirement from the Washington Post, I was like, oh well, let's let's see how Sonmez inserts herself into the story, and she didn't shocker shocker. Well, of course she did. She found a way to bring some sunshine onto herself. Uh, from, you know, somebody else's misery. This is, I'm sorry, to my mind, what this woman seems to specialize in. She's a national political reporter and does, does fine national political reporting work um, and really bad Twitter work. I have written about her. You know, I'm going to, I can send people to my Substack again, or you can read a piece I wrote for Tablet last year about her. But in any case, if I could, like, say, like, what would be helpful to this in this moment, I mean, you already messaged Don McNeil, who I, I don't know, by the way. I'm calling him Don. If I'm he doesn't like that. Donald. Donald. Yeah. Um, it's like maybe there could be somebody without this sort of like agenda or axe to grind or whatever you want to call it that said, I mean, doesn't really seem like much of a story to me, but maybe it is. Do you want to tell me the deal? Like, I certainly, you know, invite that. Um, and, uh, and keep in mind, his one public comment is... Don't believe everything you read. That's right. So and that's suggesting that maybe that the overwhelming tenor of this, according to him, is painting a false picture. And he might be lying. He might be trying to plant that information. But shouldn't that give you pause if you are a journalist on Twitter saying stuff like, I can't believe that the New York Times refuses to fire racists? And I've read a lot. I've read Roland Martin had one of those too. A bunch of people out there. Uh, shaking their damn heads, including uh, people internal to the New York Times who are speechless uh, about uh, speechless. about this turn of events. Um, shouldn't you, as a journalist, uh, want to, I don't know, be a little bit worried that what you are saying and intimating and spreading might be wrong? Shouldn't you, as um, I, I wrote this earlier, it's like I, I feel... Obviously, as a journalist, it's important to write you the truth as best as I find it. I think that's my responsibility. Um, it's your responsibility to be um, truthful to your um, to the people you interview uh, and to the subject you're writing about. It's important for your uh, for your publication, but it's important to the reader. Like you, the reader, um, really, really deserve to know as the most unvarnished truth that I can find for you. And that is not what you've been given about this story. You've been given sort of defensive posturing, mealy mouth stuff from the New York Times. You don't know the etiology of this story, which apparently, if if Matt is correct, and I think he probably is, is some sort of like leaked internal stuff. Guessing, guessing. Guessing, but it could, you know, how did they get this story from 2019? Like what, There's. it wasn't like there was a fire down the street and they reported it. This is like something now, and it will also, it is a public destruction of someone who is successful and this is a fire 
that certain journalists and certain parts of consumers love to stand around and warm themselves for a moment till they go on, and then that fire dies down. Oh, you need another one. As you know, there were two last week. There'll be two more next week. I invite the people that, that other people are trying to set on fire to this table because we really don't want to do that. We want to, like, pour some nice, cool cocktails here and speak um, the unvarnished truth as well as we can. Amen. All right, let's let's just hey. let's just close it, yeah, right? What, what do we call this podcast, by the way? I, I don't know. What do we call this? Co- Paloma Media presents. We don't have a name yet, guys. Um, you know, give us some suggestions. Paloma Pod. Paloma Pod. Um. Oh, we'll have a drink and talk about it. We'll have a drink and talk about it. Anyways, uh, we'll see if this recorded. <laughs> uh, hopefully, it did. And uh, and uh, uh, God bless the United States of America. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs>